0: Good morning, good morning. Good to be with you. If you are new or visiting, just want to say a special welcome. Glad that you're here uh, so that you could uh, just witness uh, this, and, and very simply, it's a, a a group of people that just want to worship Jesus. We believe that Jesus was God, that Jesus did come, that he did live the obedient life we couldn't live and did die as a substitute in our place for our sin, and that he did rise from death to fading and disarming Satan, sin, death, demons, and all that would oppose the work of the good king of the cosmos, and he did offer reconciliation with God and forgiveness of sin. So uh, we're very thankful for that. We're excited about that. That's why we sing songs. We sing uh, the songs that we sing here, not just because we're trying to be cold cult- or just because it's a cool thing to do, we actually sing because um, singing helps remind us of what this God has done in Christ, and it helps proclaim and tell again who what God has done in Christ. That's why we sit under the teaching of God's Word. That's how we worship Him as well, to be reminded of what God has done. We're able to combat the lies of the enemy with uh, the truth of what God has revealed in His written revelation, so we don't have to wander about in blind speculation. We also Um, observe the table each week. Uh, Some of you came from a background that might know it as Lord's Supper or Communion. Uh, Regardless of the name, we believe it's a gift and it's a meal that Jesus gave the church. Uh, to nourish them with the saving benefits of Jesus Christ. So we want to be reminded even by, remember the centrality of Jesus and all that we do here, uh, that it's his broken body, his shed blood that makes you right before God. It's not your church attendance, it's not your prayer life, it's not your Bible study reading, uh, it's not even your personality. Uh, there's nothing intrinsic in you that makes you acceptable to God, but God giving you righteousness outside yourself and saying, I'm declare you righteous, not because of you, but despite you and the work of what Jesus has done. So that's good. News for those of us who realize we fall short and are in need of a great Savior. And finally, we worship by being generous because uh, God was most generous in giving us Christ. Uh, and we give on the silver boxes on the back wall. And I always say, if you're not a regular tender or new, please do not give. We're not interested in your finances. We want you to know, love, savor, treasure, and enjoy this Jesus Christ. Um, before I roll into prayer, um, just want to remind you guys that. Uh, Next week, we have the privilege of uh, guest speaker, Dr. Ed Welch, come to speak. So invite a friend, invite a neighbor, invite anyone you think that would uh, be blessed by uh, just him serving us. He'll be talking likely on the particulars of anxiety and fear. Um, All of his writings and books and counseling is deeply ministered to your pastors here, so just wanted you to know that uh, we always like to kind of put before you, uh, because there's a lot of silliness out there and a lot of craziness out there, so uh, we like to kind of point you in good directions and want you to know that um, personally we benefited greatly from it, so uh, we couldn't believe he said yes, so he said yes, so we said praise God, and he's coming next week, and I'm sure you'll be uh, nourished by that, so just mark your calendar. Let's pray. We're going to dive into Ephesians. Ephesians 6. God, thanks for the scriptures. Thanks that uh, tomorrow, this morning as we all walk in this place with feelings, with cares, with burdens, with weight. Uh, God, we know that that weight is real. It's, it's, it's deeply heavy at times. Uh, so Father, would you um, remind us of even if it's just one thing this morning that might be a catalyst in us leaning on you harder and pressing more fully into the finished work of Christ, more enjoying the character and nature of God, more seeing the beautiful work of your son and what he's done in the cross and what he's done in the resurrection. Like, free us from the bondage that we're in. Uh, God, thank you that you came to set people free. Thank you that you came to transform lives, not just train behavior. Uh, thank you that you didn't come to make us moral, but make us new. Uh, So, God, help us as we are reminded of the spiritual war and uh, reminded of what you said. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're in Ephesians 6, so if you are new with us, normally we take a whole book of the Bible and just kind of plow through it, because we just want to see all that God would say in the Scriptures. We want you to get the full counsel of God. We want you to be able to see, read, know with your head, heart, mind, all that God has said in the Scriptures. And so, um, if you simply get used to a diet of just kind of picking texts out of the Bible without seeing the ways that the Bible informs itself about itself, um, you might, you're might you going to miss a lot. And so, we love doing that. And what we do did this particular um, last couple weeks as we said God seemed to be leading us through um, just looking at the spiritual battle before we kind of get into 1 John. 1 John will start um, probably uh, near the end of March because I'm going to take four weeks with you and look at the prayers of Jesus when we're done this in two, three weeks. But uh, before we do that, I, we said, hey, we're, we're at a season of life as a church where God is at work. God is growing us in maturity. God is growing us in depth. God is growing us in breadth. God is doing phenomenal things uh, in and among the life of his people here, which we are deeply grateful for, but um, as he does that, it's very easy in our self-sufficient manners, in our um, just selfishness and pride, to, to begin to think that, that somehow we've done something. When really we've done nothing, Jesus just decided to be kind, and, and, and within that kind of realm of Jesus just decided to be kind, we can forget there's a third variable at work. Um, there's an enemy who hates the people of God, especially those who are at peace with God because of Christ. You're going to learn this morning, which is why we put on the shoes of readiness, which are the gospel of peace. So so he hates, opposes, loves to deceive, try to thwart, try to work against the work of God. And God has already won, yet the enemy is not finally and fully disarmed or finally and fully destroyed. And so, um, Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus, a church that he planted and, and pastored, handed off to a young pastor named Timothy. He's writing back to them to say, hey, of all I've written you, of all that I've laid before you, know that finally you've got to remember in all that I've said that there's a third party at work. Um, and he starts in the first three chapters and talks about the great gospel work. You can read it. It's all your position in Christ. It's all the amazing truths about you if you've trusted in Jesus. And then he, in chapter 4, kind of door hinges the book to your practice. This is how your position in in Christ affects your work, your marriage, your sanctification, your holiness, your parenting, um, every every bit of what you do. And then he bundles it all up here in these last 10 verses to say, don't miss this third variable or you're going to get off. Okay, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be misled or your usefulness in the fight will be gone. Um, And so we looked at the last three weeks, the spiritual battle, just being aware of that, how so many of us are ignorant of that, how to rightly understand that, and then he gets into the armor, and so what you've been seeing is you know who your enemy is, you know who your king is, you know your weapons of warfare, and Last week, we looked at uh, two, the belt of truth, uh, which is pitting God's truth versus the lies of the enemy, uh, living the truth, and then appealing to the, the breastplate of righteousness, how there's two aspects, the imputed righteousness of God, where he declares you righteous by no act of your own, by the act of Christ alone, and then you have imparted righteousness, which allows you to actually progressively walk in holiness and actually put sin to death, and we saw how both of those are Very good news, and both of those are incredibly valuable in you arming yourself. And now he's going to get into two other pieces we'll look at this morning, the shoes and shield. Verse 15, here's what he writes. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, um, I've never personally fought in a war, um, but I know that shoes are important regardless. Um, I've played athletics. I know that shoes matter. What you have in your feet matters, right? Uh, Whether they're light, whether they're heavy, whether they're smooth bottom, whether they're cleats, uh, depending on what you did growing up if you were in athletics, uh, what you were wearing on your feet really mattered. Um, It affects your usefulness. And Uh, If you look at history, I think even in the Revolutionary War, I mean, the um, Americans ended up barefoot against the British because their shoes were so worn down. So they figured they'd be more useful if they just went barefoot. Um, So what we have on our feet matters. Um, How we're armed in our feet Matters Now, for Roman soldiers, this, this means thick sandals. Now, now don't think flip-flops, okay? We live in a world of flip-flops. I mean, just yesterday, in like 10-degree weather, I saw a lady walking down Ridgewood in flip-flops. Just, were insane. So it, don't think like, like sandals. Think big, thick, leather-strapped sandals. They would take long nails and from the inside down, hammer down these long nails so you could get footing as you walked up rocky ground. Okay, they didn't have technology yet to, to make these nice, beautiful shoes that you guys wear on your feet. So it was uh, leather-hide. It was wrapped around their feet, and then they put these long nails down to give themselves uh, footing and traction. And Paul makes this spiritual comparison here and says they are readiness-given by the gospel of peace. Um, so, so here's what he's saying. Now, if you've been with us the last three weeks, you're going to feel the weight of it, okay? Uh, when you look at the overwhelming reality of the spiritual battle, okay, first you've got to be checked into it, right? Most of us are just totally checked out. Once you get checked into it and realize it's not just a human battle but a cosmic battle, once you start becoming aware of that, what he's saying here is don't react in fear, react in readiness, okay? This is important because we're talking about how standing firm doesn't mean you stand still, Uh, Most of us, when we read Ephesians 6, think it's just standing still, kind of shield up, right, just letting people blast you. That's not actually what Paul's getting at. The church is on offense. The church goes forth. The church pursues. The church knows it's already won. You don't got to cower in fear, all right? We've already read Revelation. We've got the end. So so you don't need to worry about, man, is he going to fully and finally take me out? But you can be worried about, is he going to disarm me from my usefulness and my joy? Um, and so here he says, you got to react in readiness, not fear. Now, many of us are familiar with military. Um, I know that um, I've never served in the military, but I know some of you personally have served in the military, uh, or you have family or friends who have served in the military. And um, if you know those things, um, true or false, they sleep with their shoes on. True. I'll help you out. Okay? They, they do. All right? They wear boots, right? If you're in the military, when you sleep, um, you sleep with your boots on. Why? Because the enemy doesn't just strike Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Right? Like, that's, that's not when, oh, that's when he's going to assault me. Like, no one in the military who's sleeping goes at 3 a.m. He can't shoot at me. I'm, I'm asleep. Right? So, so there's this imagery here of always being ready. It's very, very clear by Paul. This isn't something where, oh, he only attacks me nine to five, Monday through Friday. No, his deceiving, his discouragement, his assaulting, his disarming him, all these he's trying to do, oppose the work of God and oppose your work in the work of God is constant. It's constant. We've talked about this. I mean, doesn't life sometimes just feel like an all-out war? Or just like non-stop? When it rains, it pours. If it's not my job, then it's my kids. It's not my kids. It's my spouse. It's not my spouse. It's my job. It's not my job. It's my neighbor. It's not my neighbor. It's, I don't know, something else. We just keep blame shifting, right? It just feels like an all-out war, all-out battle. And so what Paul's getting at is you sleep with your shoes on because you never know when the enemy attacks are going to come. You don't get casual, You don't start feeling like, well, he can't come at me now. I'm tired. That's exactly when he loves to come at you. I always tell people, halt, right? Hungry, alone, lonely, tired. uh, Often when temptation is pervasive. So, Christian, you never know when the enemy's attacks are going to come, so you always have to be ready. That's why these shoes are readiness. Um, Whenever I talk to uh, church planners, um, guys who are interested in planning a church, first thing I tell them is don't but but then the second thing i find when they do anyways or people transitioning into full time ministry is is always what's my schedule it's like the first thing they ask and i'm like what's your schedule are uh, you work till jesus returns or you die that's, that's your schedule. They're like, well, I don't understand, right? Like, it's not like nine to five, you're on, then you go home, enemy like sits at bay. No, you are ever opposing, ever advancing the church of Jesus Christ in your work through your teaching, through your modeling, through your preaching, through your shepherding, through your counseling, man. You do not have time to rest in the literal sense of in the spiritual nature, right? Yes, you take vacations. Yes, you lay down at night and sleep, but man, the enemy's assaults do not stop, so you need to always be aware, always be in tune. Um, that's, that's what Paul's been saying here. It's what Paul's been trying to get them to understand. He's always attacking, deceiving, prowling, right? First Peter 5, that means we need to sleep with our spiritual shoes on. And he says these shoes are the gospel of peace, which enable us to stand firm. Uh, I love that language here. Um, this is fundamentally the good news about our king. And this is why I said you need to know your enemy, but you need to more importantly know your king. Right, because if you only know the enemy and don't know your king, you're going to be assaulted and you're going to be given into all the tactics and schemes. But if you know your know your enemy while you know your king, you're going to be able to stand firm. So here's what he's basically uh, getting at in this good news about our king: is the good news now is that we are no longer in opposition to God; we're at peace with God. Right? We're no longer an enemy of God, we're friends with God. We're no longer under the wrath of God, we're under the grace of God. This is, I want you, when you think of Jesus, to see Jesus as a king with a kingdom. I want you to seem like that. I want you to, to see that there was a all-out war in heaven, right? Satan and demons versus God and his angels. And I want you to see that they brought that war down to earth when he created the first man and woman, and that they got leverage in, in the original sin that entered human history. They got a, a claw in there, and they are generation to generation, full-out assaulting against all who are at peace with God. And he, I want you to see this, and I want you to see that this King Jesus, who has a kingdom, came into the battlefield. Like he left his place of peace and entered the place of war. I want you to see that he humbled himself in every, every way, that he faced all that you faced. I want you to see that Satan tempted him. I want you to see that Satan used people to oppose him. I want you to see that he used demons to oppress and possess people throughout his ministry. I want you to see that. I want you to see this Jesus. I want you to see that Jesus' life on earth was an all-out war. I want you to see that his day off was interrupted often. I want you to see that he often got tired and had to sleep. I want you to see that Jesus himself, the incarnated God, came and brought his warrior king status to this world. So here's what I don't want you to see. I don't want you to see Jesus as a therapist or long hair hippie giving counseling sessions. That ain't Jesus. Jesus is constantly advancing and pulling back enemy territory. That's how you gotta see Jesus when you read the Gospels. That's how you have to look at him. Your great warrior king who came into this battlefield seeing captives who were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd, desperately needing the demonic powers to be disarmed, desperately needing us to believe the truth against what we believed as lies from our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, who fell prey to those lies and deceit and to be reunited and rekindled with the God of the cosmos. Man, this is what he does. And, And in all his ministries, see the assaults See the pangs of death. See the things wear on him, yet never sinning, yet always being tempted. So you have a high priest who is with you in this war. And, and he's ultimately betrayed by one of his own, right? Judas. I mean, that's why, man, the most dangerous people aren't those outside the church. It's those inside the church. The dangerous people aren't out there. They're in here. I mean, Judas was one of the 12, right? I mean, first Peter will constantly say the tactics of the enemy, the, the deceiving false teachings are going to sprout up within. Guy ain't going to walk through those two doors foaming at the mouth with horns. Oh, there he is wearing a Metallica t-shirt. So that ain't going to happen. That, that's not going to be your guy, all right? In fact, probably want that guy in here to hear about the grace of God. Uh, the people that are going to be dangerous, he says he's disguised as an angel of light, which is why this is so, so important. Be careful who you listen to, what pastors do you let feed your soul? Be discerning. Be watchful. What are they saying? Don't just feel, think. And don't just think, feel. Right? You got to be ready in this battle and aware of the spiritual war. And as we look at our Jesus, who was our king, who has a kingdom... He goes to the cross and he demonstrates the greatest divine bravery the world will ever know. And you have a king, the sinless king, who lays down his life for his entire kingdom. And he fully disarms the enemy, he fully puts to death. And it's amazing that when it seems like he has his greatest defeat, he has his greatest victory. And we know we've been talking about that he disarms the principalities and rulers, he forgives sin, he dies. Three days later he rises. Showing he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated Satan, he defeated demons, he set captives free. And then Jesus takes us as his possession, makes us citizens of a new kingdom. And he rules and reigns as king today. He's no longer in humility, he's now in glory. And when he comes finally and fully, he will put this insurrection fully to death. But now the enemy in this already not yet season, he's not fully disarmed and fully destroyed even though he will be finally and fully and so we are aware and so we strap on the armor and we walk and so this is what we understand ourselves in. I want you to see yourself in the whole story. You got to see yourself in the whole story. Like this is not finally and fully the kingdom of God. You are marching towards the kingdom of God and we receive our marching orders from our general commander-in-chief Jesus who has already crushed the head of Satan even though his heel was bruised. And we love him and serve him knowing that we will constantly and consistently win if we pay attention to what he says and not what the enemy has said. So what it means to have your shoes on is to always be ready, spiritually speaking. Be ready to tell yourself the gospel. Be ready to remind yourself of the armor that you wear. Be ready to remind yourself of who your king is. Be ready to remind yourself of the enemy and his schemes and tactics. Be ready. Be prepared. This ain't peacetime. It's wartime. This ain't a playground. It's a battleground. I'm going to keep saying that. This is how it works on the ground, maybe. Um, Satan comes at us to tempt us, deceive us. But you know you have God on your side, and you know you have peace with God. Why does that matter? Like, well, why, why is that huge Why is that so important? Because if you don't know where you stand with Christ, you're doubting, you're unsure, you're gonna become really vulnerable. You're gonna become really vulnerable. Armor's gonna get cracks. He's gonna start to kind of weasel his way in. If you're unsure of where you stand, but you can remember, Paul says, you, you have peace with God. You have to fear him anymore. Right? I always say, man, the judge, justifier brings great relief in the courtroom and then him being father now for you brings intimacy. Some of you are operating only as judge, who justified you, declared your rights, you're forgetting that that transaction happened, you're now his kids, and now he's father where our spirits cry out, Abba. You don't want to run to the judge for help, for prayer, for support, for encouragement. You want to run to dad. You want to run to dad. That's what he's revealing here for us. And so this is how it works. Knowing your position with God as one of peace brings courage and limits your fear. It limits your fear. Now, we know whose side we're on now. I mean, he says, fundamentally, you're putting on the readiness. You can only have readiness if you remember that you've been given peace with God. <laughs> Otherwise, man, you've got to constantly be afraid because the enemy's not greater than the king, and if you're not on the king's side, if you're not one of the people in his kingdom, then you're going to be done. Right? I, 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 as I was reading this week, I thought, I feel like Peter understood this a little bit. You remember when Peter was, um, when Jesus was betrayed, and he was about to be arrested, and uh, the army's all there, and uh, you know, Peter gets just really annoyed in classic Peter fashion, he cuts off the servant's ear, and Jesus picks up the ear and heals the man. I mean, what gave Peter courage in that moment as he saw evil pressing in towards his king? Was he a naturally courageous guy? I don't think so. Uh, what, a night later he denies him three times? I don't think he's naturally a courageous guy. So, so, so what happens? Like, What is it about that moment for Peter that makes him unsheathe his sword and cut off the guy's ear? Well, you remember right before that, Jesus, they ask him who he is. He goes, yeah, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. They all fall on the ground. Everyone there. Peter saw who his king was. Then Peter was made aware in that text, in that context, that made he was with the Son of God. He was with the King of the cosmos, and the courage that gave him standing next to him, remembering whose side he was on, made him do the craziest thing. So, so this is what the gospel does. It reminds you of who you're with and whose side you're on. It's beautiful. And then he mentions another piece of armor, verse 16. So we got Readiness. And the, and the readiness, by the way, is with all these pieces of armor, right? Shoes kind of carry the athlete throughout his athletics, just like the shoes of the gospel carry you throughout the entire war that you wage in the spiritual war. He mentions another piece of armor, verse 16, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, I, I just, I know how we think because we're so silly as Americans, so so he's not, when he says shield, like he's not talking like little shield on your arm and then you unsheath like Captain America, okay? So, so some of you guys are just picturing like Captain America, especially since, I don't know, all those movies are out right now. So you got this little tiny kind of cool colored, you know, red, white, and blue with a star on your shield. And then when you're ready, you can unsheath. That is not at all what this shield was for Roman soldiers. Um, it was actually, they literally meant a door. It was almost seven, eight feet tall and they literally would, carry it as they'd march. It was huge. It was made with almost six layers of thick animal hide, and then they would baste them in water and then wrap it around the shield so that as the flaming arrows came, the arrows not only were stopped, but the fire was stopped. Now, if if you know, I don't know, any Narnia geeks or Lord of the Rings... You're all not Christians. I can't believe. They're, okay, well, maybe you're just a serial one. You're not going to say it out loud. Love Narnia. Love Lord of the Rings. That's okay. That's welcomed here. Um, and those epic battles. Oh, my gosh. We got to have a chat later. All right? that, was, that was okay. So anyways, bringing it back. In all those epic battles, even if you've never seen the movies, what's always coming at them? arrows man just those epic scenes and there's just arrows being launched right what's on the end of the arrows fire why is there fire because when the fire hits there's fire all around you right you don't just want to catch the arrow you want to extinguish the fire not ideal if a if a flame hits and then the fire engulfs as well there's greater impact there's more shrapnel there's more damage there's more loss and so here he's given us this imagery of this 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 door that they're literally holding up this big rectangular door that would extinguish these arrows and fire and he says we use it to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. No notice that the Bible's just clear. Who's the evil one? Satan. Satan exists. He's real. Like, like the Bible never kind of used metaphorical language to kind of, oh, I don't know. I might be talking about Satan or I might be talking about just kind of like your, your sofa or I might be kind of just talking about just that habit to want to eat donuts all day. Like it's very clear, right? Like there's an evil one, there's an adversary. His name is Satan, he's evil and he brings him back again and says, these darts are not against a philosophy, right? The evil is not, Paul's reminding us the battle's not against philosophy, it's not against ingenuity, it's against a personal being. That's huge. A real being that really exists. And he, he has these flaming darts. What are these flaming darts? If you circle back to what we've been chatting about the last couple of weeks, it's the world system and human agencies he uses to bring about false philosophies, false doctrines, false teachings, the doctrine of demons. Paul tells Timothy, we will believe wrongly, think wrongly, give our allegiance wrongly to that which will steal, kill, and destroy, and not to the God that will give life, hope, and freedom. That's what he uses. Listen, this, he, his cleverness is very basic. He just wants to give out lies. He just wants to give out something right? that would in some way mislead you and tempt you and get you to believe that God is not good, that God is not true, that God does not love you. He'll tempt you, discourage you, try to dismantle your faith. He'll throw doubt, fear, disappointment. This all goes back to Genesis 3 where Satan tempts Eve and says God isn't generous God isn't good. You should just make your own decisions. He's restricting you from what's beautiful. He's not a joy giver. He's a joy killer. That's what he said out of the gate. That's 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 all he knows what to do and what he knows to say. God isn't good. I'm the good guy. God's the bad guy. Said it from the beginning. He'll often say, uh, God just doesn't want you to have what he has. That was Genesis three. He's withholding. Even though God is so generous. I always find that so weird when people are like, God's so stingy. I mean look at him, they can't eat of the fruit. I'm like, he gave him the whole garden. He said, have at it, be naked. Don't you want to just be naked? with your wife whenever you want? I mean, come on. Like, like, this is awesome. Listen, unless you, I don't know, weird things we got to chat about. But like, listen, man, this is, this is God being I'm generous, I'm good, I'm a giver. I'm not a taker. I'm not a God that's stingy. I said one tree. Notice the enemy latches on to that one thing. He wants to blind you from that God is good, God is generous, God has given you all of these good gifts. He has said, have at it in my kingdom, and yet you're like, oh, he's stingy. He said that one tree I can't eat of. And so he uses that in ways to tempt. It's amazing. You got to be discerning, right? Uh, This is why one of Satan's best tactics is within, I mean, the marriage, right? I mean, the marriage being not, not preeminent. It's not like marriage is great. Singleness is great. Marriage is great, but he uses marriage in a particular way because marriage displays the gospel. That's why it was even given, not for happiness, but holiness. It wasn't just so that we might feel more satisfied with a spouse. It was so that it might project something and declare something otherworldly, which is Christ's covenant love for his church. And so as you get married and you're showing that off to the world, you bet the assault's going to increase. But what's the lie immediately, even, even in marriage? I mean, I, I counsel people with this. You're being cheated. Just, you should enjoy your life and make your own decisions. Stop being held back. Right? God's withholding. God's preventing something. And here's the problem. We're always told, just be your own God and make your own decisions. The problem is that all sin leads to further dissatisfaction. And not only dissatisfaction with what you have, but the God who's offering to give you satisfaction. That's what sin does. That's what sin pollutes. So when we say God's been withholding from me, I deserve what I've wanted all along. No, there's a God who's going to give that to you. But it's not the God of the universe, it's the God of this world. And he'll give it to you so that he could continue to seek, kill, and destroy. So how do we extinguish these fiery darts? He says, faith. Faith. How does faith protect us? You know what faith very simply is? Be careful going to the lexicon, like your Bible dictionary. and uh, You know what faith is? Two words. Believe in God. It's all faith. That's it. That's it, sister right? That, amen. I mean, that, that's, that's all it is. That's all faith is, but it's profound in how it bears its weight on you. All faith is, is believing God. It's all faith is. You'll see it repeatedly in Scripture. It is simply believing God. This is the bottom line of our faith. Do we trust him? This is everything this is temptations, this is joy, this is bondage, this is freedom, this is the difference in walking in holiness and walking in holiness. Do I trust God? Do I believe he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him? Hebrews 11. Do I believe that he is the truth, right, John 10? Do I believe that Jesus was God? Do I believe that he wrote the scriptures? Do I believe he rose from death? Do I believe that he is good in all that he does? Do I believe that he's just and that he's kind, that he's meek and that he's wrath-filled, and that he's all his infinite perfections and his attributes and character, all at the same time operating in the most glorious, majestic way possible for the good of those who would trust in his name? Do I believe him? That, 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 that's faith. I mean, belief enters us into the kingdom of God. This is Habakkuk 2. The just will live by faith. This is Galatians 3. The just will live by faith. This is Hebrews 10. The just will live by faith. This is Romans 1. The just will live by faith. Faith gets you in the kingdom of God not your works, not your merits, not your petitions, not your prayers, Christ, faith in Christ, who came and saved you and ransomed you when you were a captive in bondage to Satan and his lies and his tactics in the world. He rescued you free. That's why I always say we're not against captors. Captives, we're against the captor. In our evangelism, we see people as captives and a captor who wants to set them free. So do we believe God? That is faith. Now just so no one's off the hook, everyone believes something. Like y'all have faith. Y'all have faith in something. All of you are putting your faith in something. You're, we're all believing. When we leave, that car we drive home, none of those wheels is just gonna <laughs> roll off, right? I mean all of you when you came in had faith and when you sat on that chair, it wouldn't give out. You just had faith. See, See, here's the thing. Every one of us will leave here and put faith in something but it's one thing to live by faith but you better have your faith in the right thing. Right? I mean I mean you you better be trusting the one thing that's reliable and trustworthy. Like it's it's we're not talking about positive thinking here. Faith has to be in something worth putting faith in. I'm not going to talk positively to Mike Reed. I'm I don't have a lot of faith in Mike Reed. Man, I my track record, if I'm honest with my soul, I know my track record. I could deceive myself. I've made mistakes. I know my failings. So my faith is not in me. My faith is in Christ. My faith is in what he has done. My faith is not that I'm able, but he's able to spite me. Right? That, that's the gospel. That's grace. All, right? All this weird, wacky, just believe in yourself, talk to yourself. Yeah, you stink. All right? I just want you to know. Like, like, Listen, you don't know right from wrong, man. Look at your rap sheet. I mean, only one man's been perfect. Not you. It's been Jesus why the whole bible will show kings prophets judges throughout the scriptures apostles even Peter Paul all who have failed miserably yet one man stands alone Christ so we put faith hope love in him why trust anyone else that's faith believing God and this defends us he says from the fiery darts of the enemy so if faith is believing God and this defends us And we must remember every dart from Satan is what? A lie. So if you've bought a lie and believed him and not God, you're not exercising biblical faith. You understand that? This is so big. This is why the shield is such a beautiful defense against temptation. That's all it is. Do I believe the lie? Believe the truth. This is why the belt of truth, right, is made alive through. Shield of faith because you realize that I have the truth and I can now believe God. For some of you, that's holding up the shield of faith against hollow regrets. They're hollow. You know, they don't have any weight anymore. Like, like as as Satan comes at you and accuses you for things that Jesus has forgiven you, that's a hollow regret that's got no steam to it, it's got no fuel. It can be disarmed he'll accuse you, you're not forgiven, you're not loved, you'll never change. Listen, anytime you hear you, it's the enemy. Can I just give you that little trick of the trade? Like anytime you're hearing in your head, you, 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 that ain't your king. That ain't your king. That's usually the enemy. You're condemned. You're filthy. You can't be forgiven. Why would anyone love you? why would anyone forgive you? Why would God actually see you as worthy? Right? Well, he doesn't. He makes you worthy in Christ. So he gives half-truths. Right? Knows just enough to say, to mislead you. People often think they just have negative self-talk. I think often they just have Satan's accusations. Um, Revelation 12 says Satan is an accuser of the children of God. Ah, oh, I just have so many negative thoughts. Yeah, or the enemy's just accusing you. Got to be aware. You got to be aware of what's at work here. That's why every temptation says, "Believe me, not God." That's every temptation. That's sin. Sin is better, not God. Sin is more satisfying, not God. Sin is more lovely, not God. Um, You see this even with Satan and Jesus, right in the desert. Um, Satan comes to him and says, "Hey, um, God has promised you the kingdoms of the earth. Take a look at you. You're homeless. You're hungry." You're weary. God must not be faithful. Don't believe God. He's forgotten about you. Come with me. I'll give everything to you. And Jesus stands firm on the truth. I mean, how many days have have you felt like it's just raining flaming arrows? Right? Right? You can't even see the sun, right? You just feel like everything about you, everything you've ever done, every way you've ever failed, every sin you've ever committed, every mistake you've ever made, it's just raining down on you. It's not God condemning you, accusing you, shooting at you. It's the enemy. It's the enemy condemning you, shooting at you, accusing you. So many of us, we blame God because we feel all these things, but you're not putting the truth against what's being told to you. So it ain't God condemning you, accusing you, pointing the finger at you, condemning you, doing all these things. It is the enemy who is shooting you and opposing you. So what do you do? you got to hold the shield of faith. He says, I trust Jesus. I trust the gospel. I trust the truth. I hold it in my hands. I hold it over my head. The shield of faith is a consistent application of what we believe about God to every issue of life. It's what it is. It's a consistent application. I'm believing him. I'm believing him. I'm safe. I'm protected. I'm warm. I'm his kid. I'm adopted. I'm forgiven. I'm given righteousness. I've got to build the belt of truth on. I'm informing what I think and what I say. We don't trust when we don't trust him, it's because we don't know him well enough. Because if we really knew him, we'd trust him. Right? I mean, that's why we're always pushing you to get your head leaning into the Gospels and the Bible. That's why I love the How to Study the Bible class. I'm not going to shut up about that, that over 120 of you guys are in here every Wednesday night. Just getting your book open going, man, teach me, feed me. I want to get to know this God. I want to know what He's like. I want to know how I'm supposed to think. I want to know what's true and what's false. <sighs> See this is why the greater you'll trust God and the greater you trust God the less likely you'll believe not to believe him comes by faith. Romans 10:17. Look at this, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we learn to believe God by knowing the word of God. Like you want to grow your faith, you want to get strong in the truth, you learn to know what's true. As you wear the belt of truth and we hear what is true versus Satan lies that builds up our faith. Through the word of God, we learn what is true about God so we can believe God. You see that? So because of the belt of truth, we're learning about God. You can actually pick up the shield of faith and use it. So that's why I said the belt's everything. You don't have the belt, you can't use the shield. You can't use anything. The helmet, you can't know what's true about the gospel. You can't be ready in moments and have the shoes of readiness on. You got to have the truth first. This is why I want you to understand something. This is how faith comes. So if you go through doubts in this room, if you go through anxieties, if you go through fears, if you go through problems, if you're going through pain, if you're going through persecution, if you're going through trials, that doesn't have to be a point of loss for you. It can be a point of strengthening. Man, it's not a point of loss. It's It's an opportunity to strengthen your faith. So many of us look at his only opportunity for loss. May have viewed his opportunity for victory like Jesus. His whole life was where he was constantly taking enemy territory for his own. Believe his word. Believe his promises. Last one is found in Hebrews 11.1, one, Another aspect. Not all of them. Just another one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What are things not seen yet you have assurance in? Well, all that will be yours in the future kingdom. That's why Paul says, man, i got to fix my eyes on not what is seen but what is unseen. This light momentary trouble is achieving for me, is cultivating for me, is growing stock in me, a glory that will far be outweighed. Oh, man. I mean, if, if we would just remember, man, our life here is not for us, man. I, mean, I can leave, either live a self-indulgent life remember my life's a vapor and I'm here but a mist that appears. I don't know when God can take my life when he wants. So now I'm, I'm re-engaged. I'm given the truth that, that life's to be used for God's glory, not my glory, because at the end of the day, that's all I'll know. That's all I'll enjoy. That's all I'll have. And that's all that will be good for me. So, so that's where I fix my eyes. I'm not here to build my own kingdom. I'm here to build his. Um, And there's someone who wants to destroy that. I'm not not on this earth to just save for me, invest for me, spend for me. I'm here to save, invest, spend for the kingdom of God. Your whole mind gets changed and shifted. That's why I strongly believe that one of the main roots, if not the main root of all of our sin, hear me, I believe the main root of all of our sin and not standing firm in the spiritual battle is our unbelief in the promises of God. I'm just going to read a couple. Take a look at these. I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4. Uh, by the way, note that he says, according to my riches, just, just in case you were wondering. Psalm 23 I will pursue you with goodness and mercy. That's your shepherd, that's your God. He's pursuing you with goodness and mercy. Look at Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you so that you can say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? At work, man, people you're involved with in your neighborhood, man, what can man do to me? Luke 12, I'll give you the words that you need to speak. Luke 12 is amazing. If you're like worried about, man, someone coming at you with a question you don't know, apologetics, I love it. The Holy Spirit promises Luke 12 that he will always give you exactly what you need to say in the moment. He really provides you preparation. And how, how much is that true? But in conversation, didn't even know I knew something or thought something and I'm reminded of something. I will give you wisdom for every new trial, James 1. Isaiah 41, I will be, your, be with you and strengthen you and help you. Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Man, God speaks and promises he will do something. This is the object of your faith. I'm believing him. I'm trusting him. I'm putting all my weight there. When we trust God, we believe he'll do it. He's good enough. He's smart enough. He's wise enough. He's strong enough. He's sovereign enough. He's big enough to do what he says he will do. So that's why I want to just end our time telling you If you are in Christ, if you have trusted in the person and work of the cross of Jesus Christ for your sins, and you've been given reconciliation with God, you are now an adopted child into his kingdom with a king who will never be thwarted, never be overthrown, who is always good, always kind, always loving. I want you to hear the word of God. Because one of the things I told the How to Study the Bible class last Wednesday was there are two questions I ask myself when I write every sermon. I ask myself five, but there are two in there. One is, what does this tell me, what does this reveal to me about the, about the character and nature of who God is? No matter what I'm looking at. And the other thing is, what does it show me a shadow of Jesus or point to the need for his work, right? But what does it tell me about God? I want to know what God's like, right? So I'd encourage you just to, just to close your eyes and just hear the word of God because faith comes by hearing and I want you to be strengthened just by hearing What is true about you? And this is God saying this. Nothing is able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. He just said nothing. So whatever thing you're trying to pull out of your junk drawer, it will not hold weight. It does not matter the accusation. It does not matter the sin. Nothing If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's telling you, if he gave up his son for us and we were sinners, what would he withhold from you now that you're a saint? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those are all things Paul personally experienced, by the way, and they didn't separate him. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. I want to just hold you there for a moment. I mean, it's not just who God is. It's what God is like towards you. That's where your faith is. That's your shield. You gotta not just know who he is, but what he's like towards you as a Christian. This is why John Calvin said this. Faith is not confined to our knowing that there is a God, but chiefly consists in our understanding What is his disposition towards us? For it is not of so much importance to us to know what he is in himself, and I would add alone, as what he is willing to be to us. And that's faith. That's the shield of faith. What God who's ferocious in holiness is at the same time ferocious in love? No God you'll ever read about. What, what God who is ferocious in might and glory, yet at the same time ferocious in tenderness and mercy with all who are his? You won't read another God. You won't find another God. Because most gods you read about who are strong struggle deeply with being tender. And the God of the Bible shows us that he is a powerful being who does not struggle with gentleness, Who does not withhold his love because of Christ? This is the gospel, friends. This is the shield of faith. This is why we need our shoes of readiness to remind ourselves of these truths and stand firm against the enemy's schemes. Let's pray. God, help us in this moment. You know where we need help, you know where we're anxious, you know where we're fearful. You know where we're insecure. You know where we're doubtful. You know where we're incongruent with the truth. Oh, God, reveal to us, even in this moment, might your Holy Spirit reveal to us those flaming darts that are being shot in accusation and condemnation and opposition. God, I pray for those who are your kids in this room, that your Holy Spirit might well up in them strong faith that believes God that they might appeal to a truth that they know to extinguish in a very instant that arrow that is soaked with fire. God, I pray you'd give us the shoes of readiness in a way that prepares us to constantly be aware of knowing when to remember and recall the belt of truth and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. God, thank you for being our king who came and won a kingdom for his own possession. Thank you that we don't have to fear that you have the victory and use us this week in ways that glorify your name and not our own and protect us and preserve us. In Jesus' name, amen.